What's up, everybody? Hope you're doing great. Hope you're having an awesome day. Those of you online worshiping with us, we're so glad you're with us. And man, I'll tell you what, this is week two of an incredible series called The Return of the King, and we're going to be talking about end times. I'm going to be bringing it this morning. I hope that you're ready. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, we're going to go after, the, this, after it this morning. If you don't have your paper Bible with you, go ahead and open up your Bible app. Uh, if you don't have that on your mobile device, the verses will certainly be on the screen. But I'll tell you what, there's going to be some things that we're going to extrapolate from God's Word that you're going to need. You're going to want this, and you're going to want to absorb it, not only mentally, but spiritually, emotionally, physically, everything that God has for us. It's going to be powerful. Uh, I hope that you're ready. I hope that you're excited. Go ahead and give an elbow to the person next to you and ask them if they're ready. Like, are you ready for what God is going to do today and now in this moment? Are you prepared? Have you worshipped? Have you prayed? Are you ready to receive from the Lord? Because when you talk about revelation, it stirs something inside of us. Like, it's a little bit exciting. You know, we go, oh my gosh, we're going to talk about revelation. We're going to talk about end times. It's, it's going to be dicey and spicy. And man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. I'm really excited about it. So just to give you a little bit of a background, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Revelation, it's the last book in, in the Bible. And so the, this book was written by the disciple John. He was one of the apostles. Uh, he, he was, it was actually written right around 90 AD. So several decades after the, the resurrection of Christ, John comes along and, and he writes this. And this is incredible because he literally has this face-to-face -face encounter again with Jesus. So John's story is that he is the only disciple of the original 12 that was not martyred. And so it just, and because part of his calling was to write the revelation of Jesus for you and I. So, so the people, so the, so for the churches could re read it. So we're going to read about the seven churches that it was written to, but then also for us. Uh, here it is 2,000 years later, and I'll tell you what, there's going to be some things in it that are extremely revelatory for us, because John was imprisoned at the end of his life. He wasn't martyred, so he, he was imprisoned, and, and in prison, God gives him this revelation. And it is, isn't it incredible how careful God is, how, how particular he is about his word? Like, he's in prison and writes this, and yet here we have all of the letters and the books and, and all the chapters of God's word that he puts together, and we get to continue to read it. So something that was written while he was in jail, we still get to have. And so that's amazing. And so this is this just powerful scripture, uh, not only for the people that read it in the first century, but for you and I. Do, do you understand that? Do you realize that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you right now in this moment through his word? Uh, not to condemn you, but to bless you, to bless you, to speak this over you so that you can receive from him. Now, I'm not saying you won't feel a little bit convicted, but it is to, so that we can grow and take steps forward. And like, I hope you're ready. So here we go. We're, we're, actually, we're not going to start in verse 1. We're going to start in verse 12. So if you have your Bible, Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 12. So this is John writing. He says, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. Like, here we go. So Revelation has a lot of symbolism, uh, analogies and things, you know, pictures and images that mean things. And so we've got to understand what they mean and what they're about. And so the thing that we've got to get is, for you and I, we go, oh my gosh, like, seven gold lampstands. What does that mean? So, so we don't use gold lampstands, do we? You know, we have light switches on, on the wall or, you know, so, but to first century Christians, this was like very obvious what this meant. And so the seven lampstands are the seven churches. 
that John is writing to through this vision of Jesus, the, the ones that are in Asia, the seven churches that he's writing to, and it continues. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, who is Jesus. Uh, he was wearing a long robe. Just p- picture this in your mind. He's wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. And his head and his hair were white, like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. And his feet were polished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And he held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. And so you can see all the symbolism. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe, I'm going to tell you what these things mean. So right out of the gate, you, you see he's, he's, got this, he's got this white robe with a gold sash on it. And, and so what that is, is that is something that only a king or a priest would wear. So this is special. It's, it's very regal you know, in what, in what they would wear. And so we have to understand, like, only a king or a priest. And the thing that's incredible is Jesus is both. Jesus is both the king of kings and he's our high priest. And so he absolutely has the authority and the ability to wear this white robe with a gold sash. And then the other descriptions that you read in those verses where it talks about his hair and his eyes and and the polished bronze, what those are talking about is his divine nature. Uh, it's talking about his wisdom. You know, oftentimes people say, you know, if, if, if somebody is a little bit older, they may develop some grays or some white hair. And, and so that probably means that they have some wisdom. You should listen to them. And so here you have Jesus with white hair and flames in his eyes. It's like, whoa, I really, really need to be listening to you. And then it talks about the seven stars that he has in his right hand. And so those are actually the seven pastors of the seven churches uh, and, and so the reason that they're in Jesus' hand is obviously the calling, but there's, there's a major accountability. You know, we know this. I feel this every single day, every moment of every week, the, the, the responsibility of a pastor over a church. And, and, but it's amazing to know the fact and the reality that I'm in Jesus' right hand. And then, of course, the sword that comes from his mouth is the word of God where God speaks, and Jesus is the Word, and in the beginning was the Word, and so this is who He is, speaking, communicating to us, to the churches, so that we can understand and extrapolate from His Word what He has for us. And so I just, I'm a little bit jealous though, I have to be honest. Here is John, who not only is considered the closest of the disciples to Jesus, but he doesn't get martyred, and he gets this revelation of Jesus once again for for us to read and understand. It just I'm a little bit jealous about, about that, but I love the fact that we get to read it and, and, and understand what's going on because I actually believe that you and I have this incredible opportunity to see Jesus face to face as well. You know, John got this and he has this revelation and he writes it down, but you and I can have that same experience. And so each and every moment, every day, we can lean into God's presence, desire, want, long to see the face of God. Who Jesus is God, see the Father, feel the Holy Spirit in our life. But see, the thing that's interesting is when he looks at us, he doesn't look at the outside of us, like you and I, where we would look at somebody's skin or their face or their hair, maybe you got a blemish on your cheek or whatever, and that's that's what we notice. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus looks inside of us, and that's very revealing. It makes us feel very vulnerable 
So Jesus doesn't look at the exterior. He literally can look at the motivations of our heart, our thoughts, our intentions. And I don't know about you, but that makes me like squirm a little bit. I'm going, oh, he knows everything that I think and feel, the things that I want to hide, the things that I don't want anyone else to know. He knows our hurt. He knows our pain. He knows where we've lived and, and, and made decisions in our life that, that really don't honor him and glorify him. But he also knows the areas in our life where we've stood firm, where we've been disciplined, where we've walked in righteousness. And so those are the things that we're a little bit more proud about and excited. And, you know, it's like we want that pat on the back and stuff. But, man, it's just we have to understand when we have this encounter with Jesus, he's not looking at the exterior. And so to me, we get to have that, have that encounter. And then I also would say even deeper and farther, what if you and I began to look at people the way God sees them, to see their heart, their story, understand who they are, where they came from, and God's intentions for them. I think we look at people differently. I really do if we're allowed to do that. And so, you know, Revelation 1 is amazing. John talks about it, the seven churches, seven lampstands, seven pastors, you know, has this encounter with Christ. And so then I want to move forward just a little bit into chapter 2 because then Jesus starts talking about the seven churches. And, and this is extremely important for us because there are some good things that he says. But then there's also some areas where he's going to say that you need some improvement. And every church is that way. You know, hey, you've got some good things going on, but there probably is some growth areas. Grace Church is the same way. You know, it's kind of like when you and I, uh, you know, when, when we go to the doctor. Uh, if you go to the doctor and you go for an MRI, uh, and, you know, you go for an MRI and, you, and they go, hey, we're going to do a full and complete body scan, top of your head to the bottom of your feet. You're going, okay, sweet, you look, we're going to make sure that everything's okay. And, and, and so, and then, you know, they do the scan and <laughs> if you've ever had this done, they make you wait, don't they? Not, not only like a day or two days, but sometimes it's like multiple days and you're going, what did they find? Oh my gosh, this is taking so long. And, and so those days just cause unrest in us and, and turmoil and anxiety. And, and then you get the phone call from the doctor or you get the teledoc, you know, and you get the, vi the, the video chat with the doctor and, and they say, well, <laughs> most everything is good. And you go, you just said most. Well, your brain looks good. Your lungs, they look good. Your stomach looks good. But, and they pause. Like, talk about torture. I mean, th th there's a long pause. But it's because, man, you know, when, when we want to know all the good stuff. And so when, when we sit and, and somebody has some good things to say, we like to hear that. But when there's correction or things that are wrong, like that's the discipline that's very difficult. That's terrible. It causes pain and turmoil, right, in our emotions. But, hey, I've got to tell you about this one thing. And so the reason I bring that up is because Jesus is addressing these seven churches. And we've got to understand it. Because there's some things that we're doing right. But there's some areas where we need to grow. And, 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 and Jesus is saying this to these churches. And, man, I just, sometimes when it comes to how we deal with people, how the church deals with others in the community, how we live this out in our lives isn't quite what Jesus had in mind. And so I want to say that because we need to be vulnerable just the same way these churches were vulnerable. Like Jesus is speaking to them 
but we need to pull some things from this for us. And so kind of the whole analogy is what if Jesus did an MRI on us as individuals in our spiritual life? What if he did an MRI on our church? What would he say? Maybe he would say some things like this. And so there's some examples I'm going to take a look at in Revelation. So the first one is the church at Ephesus. This is Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's Jesus. So this is coming straight from Jesus. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. We read that in chapter 1. I know all the things that you do, that you think, feel, the motivations of your heart. I've seen your hard work. I've seen your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say that they're apostles, but they're not. You have discovered that they're liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. And so this is some good stuff. I mean, think about this. Like, I'm feeling good. If Jesus says this, he's like, man, I've seen all the stuff you've done. And, and, and here, like, to be real honest, we want people like this in our church. You, if you're a business owner like, or you're a manager, you want employees just like this. That's what we want. People that are hardworking. People that are diligent, that love the church, that love the business. They're righteous. Don't you love being around righteous people where they just they desire to do what's right? When, when, when it comes down to it, they're not choosing wrongly. They're choosing right. That's an incredible thing. And, th- and then the perseverance aspect is extremely important. Persevering despite struggles. We need that. I mean, you and I face struggles every day and persevering. <laughs> but... Long pause. He says some very confronting and revealing things to this church as well. Some statements to them. So he gives them the encouragement, and now there comes a correction. And he says in verse 4, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now, when you and I read that, We would go, oh no, he's upset at us. No, it's much bigger than that. It's not just, oh, I'm so mad at you right now. No, this is more important than that. What this means is they knew what they had and they threw it away. Okay, so let let me me give you just a, a little bit of an example. Let's say, you know, if you've been in a relationship for, maybe you're married or you're dating somebody or... Uh, and so let's say you're dating them, and you talk to them, or that's part of dating. You get to know somebody, you, you enjoy their company, you, 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 you like them so much, you talk on the phone till 1 a.m., or you go on walks on the beach, and you're holding hands, and you got the googly eyes, and, 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 you know, it, and, and so it's like, I love you, I love you too, and you, know, you get to that point, and, and, and we start to say things like, I'll do whatever I need to. I'll give you whatever you want. We, we say bold statements like that, and then we get married, and they say, hey, can, can you grab me, you know, just a drink from the kitchen? Nah, you get it. It's like, whoa, like what happened? Like we had all this, and it was beautiful and amazing, and, and then we just kind of throw all that away, and, and we move to this other side. And so if, if we've forsaken the love of God, it's not an accident. 
we have made conscious decisions to move away from the Lord. And that's the confronting word that he said to them, but I think it's something that you and I can grab a hold of as well. So just, you know, one of the things that, that Nicole and I do as, as co-pastors of this church, as leaders, you know, we meet with staff, we talk with them. One of the things that we do often is we say, hey, how are you doing spiritually? How, like, how's your spiritual life? How's your family? How's your marriage? How's your home life? But how are you doing spiritually? Because here's the deal. It is very, very easy to get wrapped up in the doing aspect of ministry. But the reality is, is God is after our heart. He's after us and who we are. Does he love what we do as a result? Yeah, but we, when we have it with him, when we, when, we, when we want to talk with him until 1 a.m., like that's the love, that's a passion, that's a desire, that's a walking on the beach with the Lord and just experiencing his goodness, singing worship songs and feeling his presence. And so that, that's what we've got to get. And so how are you doing spiritually? And the reason he has to say this, the reason we say this to you and to us is because of verse 5. He says, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. This is harsh. Look how far you've gotten from me. And if this doesn't turn around... You're done. Like, that's it. I can't take it anymore. And so there is just an extreme disparity on what's taking place. This is tough for, for us to hear. You know, one of the things that I, I love about my wife is she's a worshiper. Like, she worships the Lord, and, and I'm a little bit envious of that and how she worships it. It just, sometimes I think she has this amazing, like, divine connection with the Lord, the, the red telephone type thing. It's like, it's like what? Like, how? And, and you, when she's worshiping, you can feel it. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever met somebody like that? Like, you're just hanging around them. You go, man, they just, they, they, they love God. They're passionate. They just, they have this glimmer in their eye. It's like they're kind of, they, they have pixie dust, and they're just constantly throwing it around. And like, you're just this, you know, about them, and it's just this really kind of cool. And so, have you ever met somebody, though, that they had that glimmer in their eye, and then they lost it? You know, maybe just some of the hardness of life unfortunate circumstances but what that is is that's when we are making decisions to disconnect ourselves from the lord and so i have to ask you like and please understand this is just because i love you and i'm your pastor is that you is that you where you had the glimmer you had the holy spirit and you drifted away from your love for god and so what happened what took place? What caused that callousness in your heart? And so God is passionate for your heart and who you are. He wants to break that away from you. And so what, what, like what took place? And so we have to understand that sin is, the, is what separates us from God. And so it's possible that it was either you know, sin in your life where you've made some decisions and they're wrong and you know it and, and you need to repent. You need to confess it. You need to have forgiveness and receive it. Or maybe you just have allowed the drift to get wider and wider, where you're not going to him as much as you needed to. Where, and so I would just say simply, what were the things that you did at first? Remember, you remember like the, when you first fell in love with God? Remember when you, you, you made the decision to follow Jesus? Or it's like, wow, oh, like he died for me. And, and it, like, 
the sky just kind of opened. And it was revelatory. It, it impacted you. And so the, the phrase that, that's given is return to our first love. So what does that look like? And, and I'm not talking about like Cinderella story, fairy tale. I'm like, for, for us, for a man, that's sometimes that's hard to understand and grasp. But men know and feel love as well. And so what does that look like? Whether male or female, it doesn't matter. Like to returning to our first love. Remember what you did when you first got exposed to Christ. How excited you were. The, the presence of God where you received his grace in your life. We return to that. And Jesus continues uh, to another church. He said, to, this is to the church at Smyrna. Revelation 2, starting in verse 8. He said, write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who's the first and the last, uh, who, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you're rich. I know about the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they're Jews, but they're not. Because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison and test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. And so in, this, in these verses, there's no correction. right? Jesus isn't saying anything specific that they need to change or adjust. But what he's talking about is persecution. Okay, where the, this church is being persecuted. And I want to say very bluntly, the American church does not fully grasp and understand persecution at the same level that this church did in Smyrna and not at the same level that other churches do in other countries. Okay, we're a little bit spoiled. And, and hopefully you can see that this is a great thing. So we can receive that. All right, we're good. Like, we, we, it's neat. It's cool. But... A couple of decades ago, we started to get exposed to persecution of Christians at the same level that others did. So I'm going to go back, like, you know, in 1999, one of the ones that was, was very obvious, you have Columbine High School, the, the shooting of Cassie Bernal, uh, where, you know, in Colorado, and, and so it was the statement that was made from the shooter, because others survived that were in that room, it, the question was asked, do you believe in God? And so that's a school shooting on somebody who had faith in God. So just to give you a quick snapshot, there have been 18 fatal shootings in churches over the last 20 years. In comparison, there have been 59 fatal school shootings over the last 20 years. Now, obviously, the school shootings are different than church, but violent nonetheless. So I'm not discrediting that, but there have been a lot of other isolated criminal acts and events against churches, against Christians, and schools, and, and, like, and so they're both a big deal, okay, no doubt about it, but for us, you know, in the context in talking about churches, like, it just, it's something we've got to grasp, something we've got to understand, but the thing about it is, I share those numbers, and those grip us, don't they? We go, oh, because we, we, we think of first graders and kindergartners, we think of you know, moms and dads and, and grandparents in churches, we, like it's real, it's, it's, it's very, but I'll tell you what, as much as it's happened in our nation over the last several decades, it is not even close to the numbers, the significant acts of violence uh, against Christians, arrests, beatings in other countries, abductions, rape, 
specifically targeting Christians. Story after story of daily, not 18 and 20 years, daily occurrences of violence where Christians are targeted. You can read examples and stories. I mean, one of the ones I read recently was about an Iranian pastor, uh, which just FYI, the, the gospel is advancing in Iran more than ever before. Like, praise God, it's incredible what's happening. And so you have an Iranian pastor who was arrested in his home along with the others that gathered in their home church for worship. The, the, the security comes in. The agents who conducted that, that raid on that home, they stated just simply that they were participating in an illegal gathering. So that, that church, that pastor, that home church was targeted. They come in. They arrest everybody. They put all of them in solitary confinement. For what? For having a church service. You and I, we're not concerned that the police are going to raid us today and arrest us. In fact, you know, we're actually thankful because the police are here to protect us and, and watch over us and allow us to work. And so, man, we're talking about the persecuted church globally. I mean, in other countries like Sudan and Somalia and Nigeria, Yemen. I mean, gosh, when you look at all the countries, we, we, we have to admit, like, we've got it pretty good. There's beheadings in Egypt and even Mexico, right? It's close to us. And so when I read this stuff, I just, I kind of look at myself, you know, and you can do what you want with this. I mean, that, I go, man, would I stand firm? Uh, that, that, that's, what's, that's what Jesus is writing. He's saying, hey, hey, Pastor Aaron, like, how much do you love me? Would you stand firm if your life was on the line? Would you hold fast to me and who I am if they were questioning your faith and who you are and their intent was obvious? And what they were doing. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard when we look at ourselves and go, man, how much do I really love Jesus? If somebody that was standing there and they were willing to take my life, if I said, no, I love Jesus, and they were going to end it, would I say that? Would you say, like, it's challenging, isn't it? It's tough. And the thing that's hard is, you know, when, when you look at churches in the American church, um, research studies numbers show that over the last year, as a result of the pandemic, the Christian church in America has, has dwindled another like 30 to 40 percent. Um, and that's not even like with somebody standing there with a machete. That's like, that's just saying, hey, a pandemic's a big deal. It's a virus. It's a disease. I get it. It's spread, spread globally. You know, fear, concern, mask. I, 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 I get it. I understand. But man, do you drift? Did, did, you, did you depart from God? And so I just, I I just want to say, like, Grace Church is not exempt from that. We've experienced decline as a result of this, you know, this virus and, and what's going on. The, the church in America, the church globally has experienced this. And so when you see how the enemy uses schemes and devices against people and churches, it's obvious. And so to me, we need to stand firm in who we are and what God has called us to. You know, for us as a church, that's why we have the online option. Is if you're not comfortable, great. I get it. I understand. Worship online. Be connected with the church. It's extremely important. And even to the point where Jesus says, be faithful even to the point of death. It's challenging. It's very challenging. And so, you know, th that's just two churches. 
And I'm not going to cover all seven, uh, but there is another one I want to talk about. Just, uh, this is the church at Thyatira, and, and I, just, I wanted to give just some examples. We're not going to dive into the scripture, but I, I wanted to, to bring this one up because Jesus speaks directly about sexual immorality in this church. Now, what happens is when we're dealing with sexual immorality, oftentimes we're being misled. It, it's an it's attack from the enemy on a way that he can pull us away from the Lord and who he is. But what happens is there is significant pain that comes as a result. It disconnects us from God, but sexual sin causes pain uh, in our life. It causes hurt. It causes remorse. And, and one, of the, one of the things is oftentimes, you know, we can have sexual sin where it's just us, but then if we're connected with another person, that sexual sin also joins us with them. And so there's a soul tie there that has to be dealt with. So there's more going on than just something that we, we see as just kind of, oh, it's, just, it's okay, it's no big deal. No, it's not insignificant. In fact, it's causing more pain and grief than we realize in our connection with the Lord. And I want to bring out the fact that over these last couple of years, decades really, that remember the, the R rating? Like at grandparents and parents, like the R rating was bad. Like you, No, you can't watch that. You can't see that. That was the threshold. It's like, no, no, no. Like, that, like we, ours, bad. And now you have the MA rating that we now look at as tolerable or even acceptable. And we go, oh, you know, it's okay. It's, it's, it's everywhere. I'll just, you know, man, how, how we've allowed ourselves to slide on the sexual sin standard in, in, in our righteousness with the Lord and honoring him with our eyes, our thoughts, and our bodies. And how he designed us. And man, it's, um, it's not okay. Uh, so scripture says that we need to avoid all sexual sin. So th- those are our three churches. And, and um, this next one stinks. If you think it's been hard up to this point, this one's the, <laughs> the worst. So get, like, I, I, I was excited to preach this. And you were excited to hear all this, but now you've changed your mind at this point in time, and I get it. So this one's actually going to cause you to be depressed. Um, so what once was excitement, like we're talking about in times, you're going, oh, this is terrible. And this is the church at Laodicea, and we get into Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church at Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things that you do. We know that. You said that already, and it makes us feel uncomfortable. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, there is nothing positive about this at all. Like he's going, you're lukewarm, that's gross, that's disgusting. And so for us as Floridians, we get this. You know, for us, we have four seasons, um, but they're very different than other parts of our country. We have early summer, summer, late summer, and next summer. Like it's just, like that's just it. I mean, the, the average temperature in Florida is 185. Like that's just, that's just the reality, okay? We know it, we get it. And so you know, in summer, if you're out working in the yard, 
or you're, you're at the beach and like we're hot, you're sweating, your clothes are sticking to you and you want something cold, right? You, you go like, man, I just, I want something that's refreshing, something with ice in it. Like, and, and so that's what he's talking about, like to be refreshed. And, and of the three days that we have where it drops down into the 40s and we want some hot chocolate or, you know, something like, I just want something hot to warm me up on the inside. Like that's refreshing, isn't it? And here's the deal. Christians are lukewarm. We're claiming Christ to be our Savior. But he's going, no, 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 no. You don't get it. I want you on fire for me. If you're not on fire for me, at least be so far from me that you're ice cold. Because then in your desperation, you might run towards me. He's going, you're neither. You're so complacent. And he's saying, get off the fence. You're straddling. And, and Jesus does not tolerate indifference. That's not how he works. He wants us fully committed to him, 100%, all the way towards him, totally dependent upon him. And that, in, in our mind and in our heart, we're going, oh, but I'm supposed to be independent. I'm supposed to be strong and stand for my beliefs and values. Sure, I get that, you know, maybe on a social justice perspective, but we're talking about dependency upon Christ where he does not tolerate us leaning on our own understanding, us relying on our own acts of service towards him to honor him. And here's what he says in verse 17. He says, hey, you say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, this is scary. I mean, he's... So we go, oh, it's just lukewarm. Oh my gosh, that's not what's being communicated. Don't think, oh, it's just, it's no big deal. It's, it, no, no, no. This idea and the understanding about lukewarm should like penetrate us and who we are. Where this is, we have no goals, no passions, no desire, no hope for more. We've become dull and complacent. We've become stagnant. Now, I know some of you in our church, and you are hot, like you are on fire for Jesus. Now, and, and there may be some of you that you're cold. And here's the deal. I'm glad you're here. Like if you are cold and not close with the Lord, you are in the right place. This is where the Holy Spirit is. This is where Jesus is. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. He will love you. And we pray and believe that you'll move towards the place of hotness. But the problem is some of you are okay with being lukewarm. And that's not okay. Jesus does not tolerate being lukewarm. And so what you've got to do is maybe in this moment, we take a test. What if I said the test is God is going to give you a score on your spirituality? One to a hundred. God's going to score you. Not you score you. God score you. Scary, isn't it? When we spin it around and we look at it at that perspective, what would his score of you be? Now, <laughs> some of you, like, you're hot and you go, 100, because I'm receiving the grace of God. I'm walking in his glory. I'm walking in the spirit. I'm not perfect, but God knows how much I love him. That's awesome. That's the place where we want to be. Some of you, because of depression, sadness, self-deprecation, you, you score yourself like way low. 
and you see God as harsh, and, and he is not that. He is loving and compassionate towards us, but you look at yourself you know, at, at, at very, in a harsh way, and you score yourself you know, maybe single digits. And man, I, I, like, I got to tell you, uh, th- th- like that is just not the case. And, and so what if we allow God to saturate our souls, see ourselves the way he sees us, but not being content with just being in the middle? So when you hear these messages, when you hear this scripture passage, we're confronted. So I would say very clearly, there's got to be some type of response. My hope for you, if you're cold, that you would move towards being hot. If you're lukewarm, you would go, I get it. You, You have pinned me to the wall. I feel it. I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I need to change. And I need, to, I need to be hot. So do me a favor. Go ahead and, and say to the person next to you, be hot for Jesus. Like, go ahead and tell them. Like, it's okay. Like, be hot for Jesus. And if you're a single person and they're cute, man, you just never know where that's going to go. Like, so, like, because we can't be mediocre. We can't be just okay with straddling the fence in any area of our life, especially spiritually. Whenever should we go, hey, I'm just okay with all right grades. Like, if, like, like C is passing, but if you're capable of a B, like there's more for you. When, like as an employee at your job, if you go, hey, hey boss, like I, I'm just, I just want to be average. Like maybe even below average. I don't want responsibility. I don't want to do my best. Like what's going to happen? Like find a new job. I mean, it's just, it's like, are you kidding? Like, we can't do that. What about in our health? What if we go, yeah, doc, like, I know that, like, those are great suggestions, but man, I just, I just, I'm not feeling it right now. I mean, where in our life is that okay? And, And so I just, like, my challenge as your pastor, I'm not your professor or your teacher. I'm not your boss. I'm not your doctor. I'm your pastor. Like, spiritually, we can't be okay with just mediocre. And here's why. So, I, like, receive this from the Lord. This is, this is Jesus continuing in verse 19. Revelation 3, 19. I correct you and I discipline, and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. And so my challenge to you is stop putting God at the bottom of the list of your priorities. I mean, you can see that these passages are all about being, like being the church. Like, and that's the most important thing. Not just doing things because we know we're supposed to. We're talking about being connected with Christ, where us loving him and loving other other people comes out as a result of being connected with him. Not something that we gain or attain. It's just, it's because it's who we are. And so I just, like, I, like, there's more for you. There's more for us in church, in spiritual life, in our connection with the, with the Father. And so if you're at that place where you just, where you've been indifferent or you're cold, like, what are you afraid of? Why are you holding back? What happened along the way? Maybe sometimes we go, oh, it just seems too hard. Like, I, I got to be honest. The closer I get with the Lord, the easier it is. And here's why. I'm not saying that out of pride. I'm saying that out of extreme humility. 
Because the closer I get to the Lord, the more I realize it's not about me. It, the less and less it's about me, the closer I get to him. If I keep my eyes on him, if I'm praying, if I'm connecting with him, if I'm serving him, if I'm loving people in the community with a radical love that brings transformation, it's, it just it flows a little bit easier. And so that's what we want. That's what God wants for you. It, it's a beautiful thing. It's incredible where we receive his grace. We receive his mercy. We receive his love, his forgiveness. He wants us completely dependent upon him. And so he stands. He stands at the door and he knocks. Uh, do you open the door? Do you, like, what, what, what is it that you're waiting for? Why would you resist? Why would you hold back? So... I just want to tell you, now is the time. Because we're, we're in a series about end times. We're talking about the return of the king. I, I talked about last week how, how scripture says very clearly, no one knows the day or the hour. Jesus doesn't even know the day or the hour. And scripture talks about that literally Jesus will come back like a thief in the night. I, I said last week how like when you look at the prophecies that have been given, they've been accomplished. Like, they've been done. When is Jesus coming back? I'll tell you what. In the first century, they thought he was coming back soon. Here we are 2,000 years later, and I, I got to be honest, it's probably going to be soon. Like, when is Jesus coming back? Soon. Are you ready? Are you prepared? When he stands at the door and knocks, are you ready for his return and his second coming? Because he will return. And if you're a person and you have not yet committed your life to Christ, it needs to happen. You need to do that cry out to him like never before if you're at a place of being lukewarm it's time to turn up the heat and not 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 that you and i can do anything to earn god's favor or his love he already has given it to us we just need to walk in his grace and receive it and honor him with our life in everything that we do so if you guys could do me a favor go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes i know this is um, been intense even those of you watching online i know it's intense and it's hard and maybe you felt some conviction conviction is good please understand it's good like the holy spirit speaking through his word and we can take it and apply it in our lives and so father we come before you uh, lord uh, enough of me talking in in my words but god i thank you for your words lord your spirit speaks to us in our mind in our body in our heart lord you know us you know all the things that we do and so jesus we come before you humbly just saying we need you god would you please forgive us in the areas of our life where we've been against you we've walked away from you with sexual sin with gossip with things that we've said out of our mouth things that we've thought in our mind things we've allowed our eyes to see lord would you please forgive us cleanse us from unrighteousness that we might be connected back with you. Father, for our being lukewarm in the areas of our life where we've allowed it to happen, Father, I pray that you would just draw us in, draw us near. Let us not be content with just in the middle. But God, that we would move towards you like never before. And Father, with that, I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit over us. Your words come out of our mouth. 
your thoughts being in our mind, your intentions being in our hearts, your emotions taking over what we think and feel and, and experience in our life, the power of your spirit more than ever before. Lord Jesus, that you would come back soon, that we would experience you. Lord, that we would be an outpouring, a conduit of your love towards others each and every time in the community, in our family, in our home, in the grocery store, in the line, at work, that we would just be ones that are funneling your goodness towards others. God, you're glorious and powerful and amazing. We lift you up in Jesus' name.